How long have we been talking about doing this podcast for, Jane? Too long. Well, we're eventually here, yep. and uh, we don't really know what we're doing, but we're going to give it a good go. Yep. Have you got a jingle ready? Yep. Amazing. Let's roll the jingle. from the Rivers Trust. I work for uh, the Yorkshire Dales Rivers Trust as a project officer and Jane. Uh, Marketing and communications manager for the Rivers Trust. So Jane, do you want to tell us a little bit about what this podcast is going to look like? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about the impacts of climate change to river, river health. We're going to be taking you on a journey to hear the many ways people are looking after and saving our rivers. So, got a good place to start. Yeah, and where are we? We're, we're in Appleby, in an amazing office. I think it really represents the, the Rivers Trust. It's a lot going on in here. It's got character. It's got a bit of spirit. It's got a vole. Oh, it's got, yes, we've, we've seen our friend the vole. It's got snowboards on the, on the walls. It's just brilliant it's, little it's place. It's full of energy, isn't it, in here? And so why are we here? We're here to interview Alistair Maltby, the Operations Director for the Rivers Trust. Brilliant. So, welcome, Alistair. Good morning, or welcome, I should say to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, Alistair. Uh, I'm Alistair Maltby. Um, I'm the Operations Director for the Rivers Trust. Um, I've been living up here in Appleby since I came up here to uh, join a fledgling Eden Rivers Trust back in about 2001, something like that. And that would have been one of the early Rivers Trusts? It was one of the first four Rivers Trusts in the country. Amazing. And w- one of the founders, eventually, of um, the Rivers Trust itself, uh, which we uh, started as an association called the Association of Rivers Trusts, and um, it's all grown from there. Yeah, so, amazing. So, do you want to give us a bit of, like, what the Rivers Trust movement is all about? Well, the Rivers Trust movement has been exactly that. It has been a movement of, of people um, who've cared enough about their local rivers that they've wanted to either start or get involved with a, a charity to to do more to improve it. Um, they've all been grassroots organisations. They've been established by a mixture of people who work for Rivers Trusts or who are trustees of Rivers Trusts. And um, uh, it's just been full of an awful lot of energy for energy and love for rivers. Amazing, yeah. So, I mean, the largest Rivers Trust, how many people might that employ? Well, now, there you're going to start an argument. <laughs> because if we talk about the largest rivers trust, then everyone's got a different way to cut that cloth. Yeah. So someone will argue that they've the largest rivers trust because they've got the largest, largest geographic area. Another one will argue that they're the largest rivers trust because they've got the biggest river. Another one will argue that they're the biggest rivers trust because they've got the biggest income. And another one will argue that they're the biggest rivers trust because they've got a lot of people. So uh, I think what you can be sure of is all of the rivers trusts especially the larger ones, they reflect the area that they are in and the catchments that they're in and the yeah. needs of those catchments. So, you know, I think West Country Rivers Trust is probably employs the most people. Yeah. I think it's probably yeah. over about 40 people. But then, of course, you know, we've got fast-growing rivers trusts like Seven Rivers Trust who, who you know, operate over our longest river in the UK. Um, and uh, we've got um, uh, rivers trusts like the Wyanusk Foundation that have done some of the biggest pieces of work. Yeah, and then we all we go all the way down to trusts that don't even have staff and are run by volunteers. 
Absolutely. So we've still got an awful lot of completely voluntarily run rivers trusts and we see that especially in the areas where rivers where rivers trust movement is expanding yeah so all but one of our rivers trusts in on the island of ireland for instance they'll all be volunteer run um we have um, one rivers trust that's very long um, more than 25 year history that that employs a small team of people over there but all of the others are, are, are volunteer voluntary but um they're just starting to employ their first people now which is really exciting because that's when you know, the magic really starts to happen in many ways. Once you get those first boots on the ground five days a week, um, that's when the scale of work you can deliver really starts going up. Amazing, amazing. It's amazing to see it grow a lot over the last 10 years. Well, it's been incredible. We always, I mean, in fact, our ex-chairman and uh, current president um, always said it was like having a tiger by the tail. Um, it's... Uh, we struggle to think of another grassroots environmental movement in Europe that's grown as fast as the Rivers Trusts have. Um, and uh, we still, you know, get quite a lot of people, you know, from other parts of the world saying, you know, they're just impressed how quickly the Rivers Trust has grown. But not only that, the solidarity that we have, because lots of places have grassroots rivers movements, um, but they tend to be based around a river or an issue. Um, but one of the things that's unique about the Rivers Trust is the support network we have. You know, we're all in this together and we're all delivering in our own rivers as well. Yeah. And that's made something that's quite unique globally. So in we've been around quite a while now. And then um, would you say that the river health has improved since the Rivers Trust movement started? That's a really difficult one, to be honest, because, um, you know, over the period that I've been involved in Rivers Trusts, you know, we've... We've obviously been on the back end of the major investments that have come through the water companies that's, that's led to a huge improvement in many of our urban rivers or post-industrial rivers like the Tyne, the Mersey, the Thames. Uh, and of course, they've improved from their worst points in their history. But personally, in my time at Rivers Trusts, I feel that things have declined. Um, but, you know, and that is reflected as well by, you know, the data relating to Water Framework Directive that, you know, that shows that, you know, really only about 17% of our rivers in a good ecological status according to the European parameters. Yeah. So just for people that are not familiar with the Rivers Trust and the Environment Agencies, what is Water Framework Directive? So Water Framework Directive was a really far-reaching um, directive that came from the European Union that basically said that we had to get, you know, it said that our water was a precious resource, that it was more than a commodity, that we had to look after it for future generations and we had to try by 2021 to get our rivers back into um, as close to natural as we possibly could achieve with the modifications we've made to it and so on. Yeah. And that was a great aspiration and it said we should judge that on the ecology and the health of the ecology of those rivers. Yeah, um, that's a fantastic aspiration. We we could have written that aspiration ourselves as the Rivers Trust, but yeah. achieving it has been really difficult because Absolutely. that's been in a context of you know of growth, of intensification of agriculture, of growth of population, of housing, and so on, uh, which makes it you know really difficult to achieve. So we're at a real crossroads now for for water quality. Absolutely, and I, I think you know there's a lot of quite negative press stories that come out around rivers, around kind of pollution events, sewage treatment works not functioning properly. But actually, I think we're in a really 
positive place and a really good opportunities. Uh, you know, there's a lot of public interest around improving the environment. You know, my my mum's first ever Instagram story was about reducing plastics. You know, there is this amazing sense of the community wanting to improve the environment. And would you agree that's reflected in the Rivers Trust movement? Yeah, I think so. And I think in wider society as well. And I think what you're describing is is the double-edged sword that we have at the moment. You know, we have, for the first time in a long time, we've got people getting very, very motivated about the environment um, from climate change and plastics. Um, but at the same time, you know, people are looking at their, their own environment and realising that our rivers are not as they would want them to be. And that is fantastic because, you know, that provides such an incentive for the various mechanisms that drive improvements from you know the business plans of the water companies through to you know the you know the legislation that we have um, and our aspirations in the environment plan so i think it's great that people are you know putting their hands up saying it's not on that we're seeing you know pollution in the river at ilkley because we can't swim there i think it's great that we're seeing people saying um that we need better standards um and i think it's fantastic that you know people are up in arms about you know all of the abstraction that's affecting our chalk streams at the moment because can, can you imagine what it would be like working for the rivers trust and people just not caring about any of that yeah um, walking past you know we've had it for years where people walked past rivers and didn't really notice what was going on so now they're noticing i think it's fantastic and i think all the pressure that people are feeling from that um should be weighed against the benefit that we have from more public interest in our environment um rivers are unique uh, you know, you can't manage them like you can manage a reserve, for instance. You can't manage them like you would manage a species. They're connected to land, they connect cities, they connect our coasts. You know, the geographies are huge and we can't sort of buy a river and, you know, fence it off from society. We have to work with society to look after it. Um, but I think what we really need to do now is, is we need to reconnect to the types of people who um, set up rivers trusts in the first place the type of people who use rivers um, for work or for play um, that really care about them um, and get them more engaged with, with, our, with our rivers trusts. Because I think our biggest failing over the years was the fact that we, um, you know, we're all quite focused on our own rivers. We set up rivers trusts. We got on with work on the ground and we forgot to tell people about it. We forgot to bring people with us. Yeah. And that's what we need to do now is we need to open our doors to, to all the people that care about rivers and, say come on in so just to give a bit of context they've just taken a little minute out of their sitting in the makeshift office um, and, and had a little wander down to the river next to Alistair's house look at this down by the river, local river. What's the river here, Alistair? This is Hilton Beck. Tributary of? The River Eden. Eden. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh. Yeah. So, do you come down here a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, when I first moved here, I walked up and down this river three or four times a day. Is there fish, trout? There's brown trout in here and there is bullhead in here and there is um, juvenile Atlantic salmon in here. Oh wow, and, uh, oh, amazing. Yeah. Every now and then I snorkel from the top and uh, snorkel all the way down looking at the fish. 
Yeah. It's amazing. It just looks like a glassy surface now, doesn't it? With not much in it. It's quite quite shallow here. And you think there was nothing there, but when you get your face in there and you stop and you just watch for a few minutes, there's fish everywhere. I need photographic evidence of this. Do you? Yeah. Maybe I need to film it. Yeah. I'll take the GoPro down and, and just film it, film it. It is a good point though, isn't it? On the surface, sometimes you wouldn't expect there to be as much life. And when we do kind of bug searches with school groups, you know, it's fascinating for them to see what actually lives in there and how much life there is in seemingly not a lot. Yeah. And I think what you quite rightly said before is, we just do bounce back and there's a lot of life and we just need to give them a little bit of space and a bit of TLC and they'll look after themselves, right? I'll tell you what's really important about a river like this. We're, we're up here in the tributaries, we're close to the North, North Pennines. Uh, the river's probably about three metres wide at its thinnest point. Uh, just here it's a little bit wider, maybe four metres wide. Um, there's no monitoring on this river. You know, no one tests this river to see if it's healthy or not. Um, and there's more rivers like this in the country than there are rivers that we do test. So there's greater length of rivers that we don't really monitor or look at the health of um, than there are rivers that we do. Um, and these are the absolute lifeblood of rivers. This is where the salmon come to spawn. This is where the juveniles grow up. This is where water quality could have a much bigger impact if there was a, if there was a pollution event or something. It would it would, um, you know, much less pollution is needed to kill here. And um, that's why the work that we do is so important, is because, is because we need to look out for these small rivers just as much, if not more, than their, their bigger cousins downstream. that rivers are facing at the moment? Well, I think everyone's got their perspective on this, but my top five, and I am going to cheat a little bit here because I still think that the biggest single problem that rivers trusts have to deal with um, is the single biggest problem is still pollution uh, in all its guises. And um, so we have to make our number one priority addressing pollution right now. Now, you know, you can break them down into different types of pollution. So, you know, we have lots of pollution coming from, you know, what's called diffuse sources. But, you know, really it's it's pollution that runs off land in whatever way it comes. Um, and that includes sediment as well in certain parts of the country. So, you know, pollution that comes from land management. Um, we still have, I think, unacceptable levels of pollution that come from sewage treatment. Um, you know what, we've, we've done a huge amount through the Urban Wastewater Directive and a huge amount through Water Framework Directive now, but it's, in my eyes, it's not very holistic. You know, it, um, it's so focused on, for instance, phosphorus that it then misses perhaps public health parameters. And what people care about right now is they care about using rivers and we care about people using rivers and we, you know, desperately think that there should be a, a minimum public health standard for our rivers that are used for amenity. Uh, would be swimming, fishing, kayaking, canoeing, paddling, whatever. Um, I think septic tanks are a huge pollution problem that are probably underestimated. Um, you said in your intro, we're here in a very remote area. Um, I know that people upstream of me and downstream of me, their septic tanks all discharge directly 
into the river um, despite um, the rules that say we're supposed to discharge them to land. Yeah. Um, so that needs to be addressed. Um, uh, and in our urban areas, we've got huge problems with runoff from our roads and polluted waters getting into our surface drains and misconnections to those surface drains from housing, from industrial sites and so on. Um, you know, All of this to put together still results in a cocktail of pollution coming into our rivers all the time that I think limits the, uh, the, the amount of wildlife it can support. Um, so that's my number one was pollution. Do you think... Oh, you're still going. I'm that's still going. One. That's number, number one, one. Wow. pollution. Oh, flipping yeah. Go We've on. got a lot to Keep do. Going. Okay, number two right. then. Number two is space and trees. We need to give our rivers more space. I, I've often been concerned that, you know, since... you know, If you look at old maps and you see how much our rivers have, have changed and been straightened, you know, just how much surface area and length they've lost, you know, how much does that result in the amount of wildlife and ecology that we've lost yeah. from our rivers um, so uh, and I was thinking this morning actually uh, before you you turned up that that um, you know we need to think more about our rivers not just being the river channel and the water in it but also you know the land that's attached to the river either side of it a river's not just the water it's the floodplain it's the it's the trees it's the banks it's everything Touches too. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So we need to give um, our rivers more space to, to be natural. And the third thing, um, which is probably, if you count it up, it's probably about seven or eight now we're on, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, is we need to find a credible alternative to engineered flood risk management. Um, with the pressure we put our rivers on in terms of how we, we, we expect to go right up to the river bank with houses and industry and cities and things like that uh, with the direction that our climate is going and the changes in rainfall we're expecting we're going to see more flood risk management um, and we need to find a credible alternative to engineered solutions. What hope is there for our rivers and um, can we really believe in better? Yeah I think I think that's a great question and I think it's a really fundamental question. One of the great things about rivers is they can and do bounce back really quickly um, look at the fact that we've got salmon returning to some of those post-industrial rivers we talked about earlier. Um, you know, no one's put them there. They've come back on their own because the water's clean. Um, so that's both been, you know, that has been a double-edged sword for rivers because I think that ability to bounce back has meant that people have um, um, even not seen problems quickly enough or the problems, um, you, you know, haven't been, um, um, you know, they've, they've taken time to be noticed um, but uh, I think what that does tell us is that if we do make some big changes then much of the ecology can bounce back quite quickly. We've reached really our worst point in terms of trying to engineer our way out of these problems. We, we, we already recognise that we can't really do more engineered solutions for you know flood risk management, you know we've reached the, the, the even the point where we've done as much as we can, we've got to start recognising that restoring natural processes for our rivers is now the future. Uh, and that leaves me with a lot of hope because if we start investing um, in natural solutions in the same way we've invested in engineered solutions, then we could see some really big changes that, that benefits water quality, it benefits ecology, it benefits for climate change and so on. But I think what really underpins everything here is people, right? At the end of the day, it is generally about people. 
and so there might be quite a lot of general public or listen to this podcast so if they want to get involved with rivers or the rivers trust movement what can they do how can they get involved how can they be part of this amazing movement there's loads of ways that people can get involved um, and um, I think it's worth remembering that you know Rivers Trusts were started by people and it was started by people because they wanted to make an improvement and all of our Rivers Trusts should be inclusive and open to you know have open doors to anyone who wants to get involved um, you know you can get involved in very simple ways through through volunteering for instance um, with local Rivers Trusts so with local Rivers yeah. Trusts and if you go onto the Rivers Trust website you'll find a nice calendar of events, local rivers trusts around the country that we'll be able to, to look at. But I'd like to see people get more intensely involved, I suppose. You know, take an interest in a site, take an interest in your river. Try to get to the bottom of what's wrong and why the problems are there and, you know, talk to people about solutions because rivers trusts don't solve these things top down. We don't solve them by persuading people. People make decisions to change their behaviour and change what they do. And the last thing that we really need as the rivers trusts um, that we desperately need people to do is to get involved and, and help fundraise um, and the reason that's important I mean it sounds corny really for a charity to be asking people to fundraise but we've never asked the public before to get involved in fundraising what we do um, and we've delivered most of our work through projects that have been financed by others and that's great but it always means we're delivering to other people's priorities and not our own there's loads of things that we care about really strongly as Rivers Trusts that we will never get project funding for, that we will only be able to do if people stick up their hands and say, we desperately want you guys to help us um, get a minimum public health standard for our rivers, for instance. You know, you know, the government's not going to pay for that. Water companies not going to pay for that. European Union funds aren't going to pay for that. Um, but the public can help us get the funds that we need to make some of these big changes. talked a little bit about where we're going to go where we come from um, a little bit about the pressures that we're facing and some um, kind of how people can get involved right yeah so yeah thanks Alistair for being our first ever podcast interviewee I hope you guys have enjoyed this experience and are ready for more but before we leave we've got one final question we're going to try and make this a theme of the podcast. Jane, over to okay, you. Okay, so, Alistair, it's a question we've all been waiting for. What is your favourite river? That is a really hard question to ask someone who's been working on rivers for like 20 years and was inspired to get involved in rivers from about the age of about eight. Um, so I think it's a question of what is my favourite river at the moment? Um, I think... I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the border-esque in Scotland just because it's the, the only river that I seem to be capable of catching a salmon in. Um, I've got a uh, um, soft spot for the small rivers of Devon where I grew up and learnt to, learnt to fish with my grandfather. And I, I love the, uh, the X because I learnt to kayak on the, uh, on the weirs of the X. Um, but right now, my, my biggest love for rivers is, has to be the, the rivers of the Balkans. 
So I've been doing a bit of time, spending some time supporting Balkan River Defence. And rivers like the Tara, the Una, um, the Socha are some of the most beautiful rivers I've seen anywhere in the world. And they definitely deserve saving. So next time, next time, what has happened next time, Jane? Uh, we're going to be talking about how people like you can help improve river environments. So I think you're going to be out with your local river group. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's next up. Um, if you've got any suggestions for podcasts you want to hear yeah. or people to interview or inspire, inspiring people, yeah. get in touch. Yep, yeah, info at theriverstrust.org. Thanks to the North Sea Region Interreg Watercock Project uh, for sponsoring this podcast. Mm-hmm.